thanks to Midriff's sponsor, Earthquaker Devices. Earthquaker Devices are continually identified as leaders in the music gear industry for their commitment to creating a better, more inclusive, diverse, and welcoming music culture. You've probably seen it yourself, right? They are intentional in this work, and they take the time to do it well, and you can see it in almost everything they do, right? From sponsoring podcasts like this one to their representation in social media and artists they endorse, right? And there's probably other things that you're, we're not even seeing, right, that are behind the scenes. And then there's their truly unique, creative, inspiring pedals. Did I mention they make pedals? They're made in by hand in Akron, Ohio by like a whole pile of really, really awesome folks. Their pedals are useful and easy to use tools for like any instrument as a guitar, bass, synth, drums, whatever. And they make pretty much every type of pedal under the sun. Whether you want an octave pedal, you want a distortion pedal, you want a fuzz, you want some modulation, they've got it for you, including a few super affordable pedals that you can grab for under $100, right? Amazing. If you hear folks sing their praises, there is a reason why. And I personally played Earthquaker pedals for over 10 years, and I'm proud to have them as sponsors on this podcast and to have been able to work with them as well. And you can learn more about Earthquaker Devices at EarthquakerDevices.com. Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I'm your host, Hillary Jones. So I recently went on a work trip to London and I had never been, I and I have to say it was honestly just so delightful. I wasn't I wasn't really sure <laughs> what to expect. I mean, obviously I was somewhat sure what to expect because I'm a person in the world. Um, but it was it was just so nice. And you know, if you saw my Instagram page, I shared that I had gone to their Tin Pan Alley or Denmark Street is what it's actually called, technically. It has, I think eight or nine music stores, there might be more than that. And it is not that big of a block. So it's just like music store, music store, music store, music store all in a row. And let me tell you, so convenient, uh, so wild. It's it's really cool that they were able to sort of like keep this because I guess it was like a music publishing space. There were some studios there in like the 60s and 70s, I believe. Um, and I think probably going back further. Don't get at me about the <laughs> my accuracy. Look it up on Wikipedia. But uh, yeah, they really it, it, it was so interesting to me because really every shop had their own thing going on. And it, it makes me think about how maybe it, it maybe retail stores really can survive. I know I've been talking about this for a while, but, you know, if they can do it, I think anyone can. And granted, I know London is obviously a huge city, but having them all in such close proximity really is huge. It was also notable that I, you know, had absolutely fantastic service at each store. So, you know, the differentiating factor then became about the gear and less about the service, which I think is not necessarily the case everywhere. You know, so many places, they're like the only brick and mortar space in town. And so their competition is online. And, you know, like they don't have to compete with like really great customer service if somebody just needs like some bass strings at the last minute or whatever. They're just going to be the place people go to because they don't have a choice. And I've spoken, you know, a lot about the importance of, you know, that competition in the past, um, you know, that people will need really to step up to survive against, you know, obviously either stores, but I think in particular online stuff. But I think that that model that they have here is interesting because they are able to draw folks in based on the quantity of stores in their location, right? 
it's likely that probably like one to two stores will really click with you and your interests, perhaps more than others. And that is great. You know, like it's good to be able to be like, okay, like people have whatever they need here. You can check everything out. Um, But you get to find the one that one or two that really connect with you the most. And, you know, no one store really has to cover everything as, you know, each one is fairly small. So they can, you know, really do a great job on the one, you know, not one thing, but like the main things that they do. Anyway, I'll just say I've never experienced anything like that. So I wanted to share it. And it does provide a bit of an alternative model, almost like a musical food court where everyone can kind of get what they want. It is it was fascinating, really. Okay, let's get into today's interview with the awesome Angie Swan. So Angie is a highly accomplished guitarist who has played with just a slew of amazing musicians, including David Burns, American Utopia, Fred Armisen, Macy Gray, CeeLo Green, Adam Lambert, Will I Am, Fifth Harmony, Cirque du Soleil, could go on forever. She's played with pretty much everyone. She's hilarious, and I had a fun time getting to hear more about her background and her experience and all about her very cool guitars and other gear as well. All right, let's head into my interview with Angie. Angie, welcome to Midriff. Hello, hello. Good to be here. I'm good. Thank you. Yay. So can you introduce yourself for folks who maybe don't know you for some reason, your name, your pronouns, a little bit about yourself and your background with music? All right. Uh, my name is Angie Swan. Uh, I'm getting new used to this pronoun thing. I don't know. I'm Angie, her, it. I don't know. Angie. I don't know. I, I, when people ask me that, I actually I, I blush because I'm like, I don't, I don't really think about it. But um, uh, I'm a guitar player and performer from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I lived in Boston for a while, Los Angeles, New York, Montreal. Uh, traveled uh, probably about 34 countries with different artists over my Oof. career in music. And uh, I just recently moved back to Los Angeles from New York, and now I'm here. How long have you been back in LA? Uh, I've been back for about five months. Yeah. Okay. So, no, probably six months now. How's that feeling? At first, it felt good. Now it's kind of like, uh, well, you know, the writer's strike just started. So I'm like, right. Did I, did I make the right decision? But, you know, <laughs> I, I think every decision ultimately is right because I made the decision. So, yeah. You know, what's supposed to happen does happen. And it's just part of a journey. And people always say, Oh, are you back in LA for good? I'm like, you know, nothing's permanent. So I'm here until I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. I was, uh, so you were nearby when I ran into you at NAMM. Yes. 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 It was an easy drive for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. NAMM. It was interesting to have NAMM in the springtime. I think it was was the same weekend Mm. as Coachella. So it was a little bit Right. Different than other years, but at least I'm happy it's coming back now, slowly but surely. Yeah. Yeah. Did you go to Coachella? Uh, not this year. I kind of don't go to festivals anymore unless I'm playing them because yeah. I just, it's the crowds for me. Yeah. But I, I've played, I mean, I, I went to Coachella back a long time ago and I think I saw McCartney there. I saw Prince. Oh, wow. So this was like in the early 2000s. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> but I've, I've perf- I mean, I've performed at Coachella a couple times yeah. since, but uh, yeah. I, yeah, last year. And then like four years ago. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, I've actually never been to Coachella, but I generally, I feel that way about uh, festivals. It's just, it's too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I want to see somebody, I'm going to go see them yes, uh, yes. generally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you, uh, you started with guitar or did you start with guitar? Can you talk a little bit about uh, your, uh, how my, you got started with music? 
Uh, I believe my first instrument was violin when I was four or five oh, right. years okay. old. Yep. And I couldn't figure out how to hold the bow. I remember that. And I, I was mm. really frustrated with it. And I just wasn't really attached to the instruments mm. from what my parents tell me. I, they said I just never wanted to do it. And so I switched from there to piano, which I, which I really enjoyed. And I still kind of play a little bit now. Uh, then clarinet for like just in, in school. This was like yep. was elementary school. But then uh, I think I saw, what did I see? Uh, it's like Joe Satriani. My dad was really, my dad's a guitar player. So he used to always yep. play Joe Satriani surfing with the aliens album. Uh, he was yep. fan of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, my mother loves Tracy Chapman, Robert Cray. So I just kind of grew up in a family that really loved music, whether playing or listening yeah. to it. And I'd see my dad in the, our basement playing guitar and I'd always try to like pluck at the strings. Um, and then there's a video of me when I was three trying to play with a uh, ukulele and my hands were kind of doing the right stuff. But um, oh. so guitar was the one thing that really stuck with me. I mean, when I first started taking lessons in like the, in, I was 11 years old and it was killing mm. my fingers, my calluses, I it was just in so much pain and couldn't figure out what was going on. And, you know, I'd ice them down and I just kept going with it. Oh. I just really, you know, enjoyed the instrument. So yeah, yeah, guitar yeah. Is my the pain thing. was worth it. Yes. Yeah. And I actually, you know, I play a little bass, but I play bass like a guitar player. So, <laughs> right. But, but I don't use a pick. I mean, I use my hands, but still, I, yeah. so I feel like I play bass like a guitar player. I like the higher notes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so it seems like, so you've played a, a variety of instruments and then you started, then you really got into guitar when you were like 11 and then eventually, and you went to performing arts school. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, I went to public school in Milwaukee. Uh, elementary yep. school is like a, a global education school. So actually, yep. I got this from my fifth grade graduation oh. in like 1993 or something. <laughs> and I, I remember looking at this like a little kid and like, I it's like a little globe these- for folks who yeah. are listening on the podcast. It's a little globe oh, yes. in a cube. I forgot podcast. Yes, I'm holding a, a globe. <laughs> and I remember looking at this as a kid and saying, I want to go to all these places. And that stuck with me. And I've had this, like I said, for over 30 something years. Amazing. Crazy. Amazing. And so, and so then eventually you ended up at Berkeley. Yeah. Yes. And- yes. Well, even, even before Berkeley, I went to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I studied, uh, I had a lot of private lessons in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and then did a lot of yep. extracurricular stuff in this like summer music programs up in like university of Wisconsin, Green Bay. I would go to a lot of blues jam sessions and I was studying jazz as well. Once I went into high school, which is also public mm-hmm. school, um, Milwaukee high school, of the arts and that school would, we would go to like high school jazz competitions in Boston and in California. We were like the one Midwest group that would travel <laughs> to these places. Uh-huh. We actually won some of the competitions, which is really cool. Uh, we were studying music of like uh, Dave Brubeck, uh, Chick Corea, yeah, uh, I, I was in this guitar ensemble, which was six or seven guitarists. We were playing Spain in four or five part harmonies, which wow. was pretty crazy. And Dang. just, you know, le- learning jazz in Milwaukee is what really helped me to audition for Berkeley and to, uh, you know, audition for a scholarship. And, you know, I applied to different schools and it came down to, I think, Juilliard and Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And I actually have the, I flipped a coin. I still <gasps> have that quarter. It's somewhere. No way. Yeah, I've got a little box with a quarter in it from, you know, the year I was born. I was like, it's my lucky coin. And I flipped that coin and that's how I decided to go to, go to Berkeley. Oh, <laughs> man, that's amazing. <laughs> I, I do things like that. I don't know why, but 
Yeah. So then I yeah ended up in Berkeley and I was there for five years. Yeah, five years. I was there for a long time because, you know, I was I was, you know, enjoying being away from Wisconsin, mm-hmm. finally kind of discovering myself. And so, you know, in and out, in and out of the classroom. Um, so I was there for a long time and I, I made a lot of great connections there. And um, unfortunately, I didn't actually graduate Berkeley. I, I went as far as I could, but I ran out of money. I won't lie. Mm. Um, but you know, for me, it's more about the connections and the network. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, a lot, a lot of my colleagues didn't even stay as long as I did, as, as I did. Uh, they just kind of yeah. went in. I mean, I mean, John Mayer was there like before I got there, but I think he was there for like half a year or something. And, yeah. you know, people go well, in I and think- get what they need and yeah. And that was kind of my question, I guess, about Berkeley, because I feel like that is a very common experience with folks at Berkeley, you know, is that people go there and then they like meet some people and they're like, oh, yeah, actually, I should be like playing out. And then they're like, oh, yeah, well, that, I'm going to go that's do that. Where, I mean, you go to school there, but then you really get your education on the road or right. at jam sessions when you get your ass kicked. But, you know, you need to have that. <laughs> yeah. But you need to have that foundation. Yeah. Um, you know, in the education, the theory is important because it makes you more valuable as a player. For instance, yep. if you can play by ear and read, mm-hmm. um, I used to play at a, a jazz club in Boston called Wally's, which is one of the mm. oldest jazz clubs in the U.S. And, um, you know, I would go there on, once I was old enough to go there, you know, 21 plus. Yeah. But I would go there on Sundays and Tuesdays at a funk night. And like I said, I would get my ass kicked. I sometimes <laughs> go home like choked up and I was like, oh, I embarrassed myself. Oh. But but the thing is to keep going. Like I I kept going and and going to school during the week. So it was just really a a great time and great experience. And I already knew I wanted to move to California Mm -hmm. after I left Berkeley. So I did that in 2005. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's when like my professional career began as a musician and, you know, still getting my ass kicked in auditions, but keep going. (laughs) Like I remember I went to LA with like two suitcases, two guitars and I was really big on business cards, which I, I'm so mm. old school. I still have business cards and I'm showing this to you right now. People can't see it, but I still yes. carry them. Yes. Cause, well, cause when people put your name in a cell phone, it just gets lost in an abyss or totally. as you on Instagram, you kind of forget, Oh, who did I meet yesterday? Who did I add? So, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So I'm really, uh, you know, an advocate for like tangible, you know, business cards. Yes. But, yeah. Because you're going to see yes. it at some point, even if it's like, oh, I don't need these anymore. You'll be reminded like, OK, I need to like get in contact with this person if it's like serious. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. So I so you do you did a full rig rundown with Premier Guitar. So I don't think we have to go like super in depth, <laughs> but we should talk a little bit about like kind of you said your first guitar was a harmony. Yes. Yes, yes, it was. Yep. That was out of a J.C. Penny catalog yes. from like a long time ago. It was like what color was it? Eighty dollar guitar. I, I used to draw pictures, or like I'd look at an old J.C. Penny's catalog. For listeners who don't know what that is, it's like a store <laughs> in a book. But um, I would yeah. cut out little, do little cutouts, or draw my face next to the guitar. And oh my gosh! You know, the, one day for Christmas, I, I remember there's a picture of me somewhere with like a roller in my hair. I used to have really long hair and like curls and. You know, like these big buck teeth before I had my braces. And I, remember I was just so excited to have that guitar. And it was, um, that was my first one. I still have it somewhere. I think it's, what, co- it's what color my, is it? It was, it's white and black, but I put stickers on it. I think I was into yeah. green day and stuff. So I was drawing yeah. and putting like little eyeballs on it. And just, I think I have, <laughs> yeah, there's a nine inch nail sticker on it. Good. So, good. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, because I was really into to grunge and yeah, uh, Nine Inch Nails, Nir, um, Nirvana, uh, Stone Temple Pilots. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. You know, it was that whole grunge. It was like, you know, 93, 94. You know, Certainly. Years. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So that was your first guitar. And now I'm, we're not going to go through the whole thing, but I did see. So your main guitars are a Novo, it seems like, right? And that guitar is bonkers bananas. It's oh, so yeah. Nice. I love it. Actually, um, Jared Scharf, the guitar player that used to be, he was on SNL for like 13 years. He's a friend of mine. Yeah. And he, he got me into, um, uh, he told me about Fano guitars, you know, yeah. before Nova had come out, because you know, uh, Nova was made by Dennis Fano. I guess that was the, that was the main one I used for American Utopia. But I also used Nags uh, guitars, which were made by Joe mm-hmm. Nags, who was one of the original luthiers for Paul Reed Smith. Oh, um, yeah. And so I used a couple of two of his guitars in that show, which were great because I, I like the guitars that are lighter. Like the Novo I used the most because it was um, it had the Lawler pickups in it. That yep. was kind of I, when I was learning the Talking Heads music, like the Adrian Ballou stuff, uh, David's yep. playing. And uh, Jerry Harrison's guitar playing. I listen, you know, they use a lot of single coil stuff, like that kind of kind of single coil sound. But I like it a yeah. little bit thicker, so I went for the Lollers because it has a little bit more mid range in it. And the, I, for, for the show like American Utopia, there's a lot of uh, choreography, mm-hmm. or there was. So I had to think of that too, like which guitars I would feel okay moving around in. Yeah. But still, like, you know, hopping around on stage with boutique guitars, you know, trying not to fall over. That was, uh, <laughs> I mean, these, like, I've had these guitars, like, some of them are really worn down, but it's got that worn look, but it's like, yeah. I did that. Like, years and years of sweat on the road with this one show, you know, made you them look it. like that. But, mm-hmm. so, but actually, after yeah. I had the, um, the harmony guitar in high school, I remember in parent teacher conferences, my guitar teacher, and he was also the math teacher. This is public school. So different teachers would have like more than one job. And yeah. my teacher said to my mother, you need to get your daughter a real guitar. She needs something better. It's from just catalog guitar. And he just gave her crap for it or something. <laughs> Shamed her into uh, getting you. Yeah. Well, I think that like, <laughs> I think after that, yeah, my next guitar was a Harmony, not Harmony, I'm sorry, Epiphone Sheraton. So it was like, okay. a, like mm-hmm. a hollow bodies, but it was so, I was so tiny and it's so big on me. It's still big on me now. But, um, so I looked goofy playing it, but like I said, I was playing a lot of straight ahead jazz at the time. So I was using yeah. flat wounds and I was like, I'm West Montgomery, or I guess yeah. I'm a female, Breast Montgomery. Oh, that's a bad <laughs> I just came up with that. I had to say. That was good. That was good. I don't have a filter, I'm on board. but, uh. Yeah. So after that, the harmony, and then I think what I always wanted, Les Paul. I always wanted a Les Paul because they just like, I'm a huge fan of Jimmy Page and I, you know, you know, he used the telly too, but I don't know something about Les Paul and my, my dad's friend, um, uncle, we call him uncle Rudy. He had a 73 Les Paul custom sunburst. Wow. And I always, I just loved the way it looked. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, damn, that's beautiful. And I actually got it tattooed on my back. Whoa. I have this guitar. Yeah, I have his guitar tattooed on my back. And when I was like 18, he said, Angie, if you keep playing, one day I'll give her to you. Drum roll. <laughs> Two years ago, he calls me. He's like, Angie, come come get her. Hold on. No if way. I, if I can't reach for it. Yeah, hold on a second. I have to show it to you. I, I, I've got like shorts on. So I'm glad the radio people are. <laughs> Oops, dropped something. There she is. Oh my this gosh. Is, That's this is amazing. the guitar that 20 years ago, he said, if I keep playing, 
one day he was going to give her to me. Wow. This is Darlene. That is so nice. Because he, does, he doesn't play anymore. And he's, you know, he's got kids. Yep. But he's like, he's like, none of them play. And he oh, would hate man. that, you know, if they didn't take care of it. So hold on, let me put this on the stand. All right, let me just put this back down. But uh, totally. I thought it was a beautiful story. Like It is. That's so cool. Yeah, it's what I mean. She's like 12 pounds. It's 12 pounds. Oh, I'm of goodness sure. But I, I never really thought he would do that. Just out of the blue, he calls me one day. He's like, Angie, I'm so proud of you. And uh, Darlene, I haven't played her in seven years, and she's ready for you. Wow. So I'm going to cry. Yeah, it's, it's pretty full circle. You want a yeah. tissue? I can. I have a 3D printer. Okay. Could you please? <laughs> uh, I might need it. Uh. And I actually used that guitar one t- this uh this Les Paul I used it one time on American Utopia just because I just I had to hear it in the theater I told the sound yeah. guy I was like his name's Pete Kepler by the way amazing front of house guy we call him Golden Ears but um I said Pete I got this seventy three Les Paul and I just need to hear it in the loudspeakers in a in a in a Broadway theater yeah he's like I'll come to work a little earlier and I got on stage and just kind of you know just Aww. played and. Yeah, That's but I amazing. played it for one song and my shoulder was just messed up afterwards. So. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This last puzzle has no joke. Is no nope, joke. Nope. I don't know how people do it. Um, I, well, they don't. I mean, everyone who used them in the past, they have back problems or well, right. really massage therapist. But <laughs> there you go. You had to travel with a massage <laughs> therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, I saw you had a couple newer cowers that you're, you're maybe playing with. I'm not sure. Like the one, so the one oh, that you yeah, have behind you. Yes, yes. Uh, well, actually, now I just I met Doug, Doug Cower, um, just kind of by default, like randomly at, at NAM, and we just really hit it off, like personality wise. Oh, cool. mm-hmm. Like he's just he's a really cool guy. He's hilarious. I, I just love talking to him about gu- guitars and whatever. And he um, and he's also a huge fan of The Simpsons, and he would put up these hilarious memes. And you know, uh-huh. you know like h- humor is so important to me. And I'm like, wow, this guy's funny, and I really. You know, I'm really into his guitars and the shape yeah. and his imagine his imagination with them. And they're just, they, everything looks fun. And so I played one. I was like, damn, this is, this is cool. This is yeah. really cool. And um, just kind of fell in love with the feel of it and, you know, just everything about him. You know, it's just really, we had a really good connection. Amazing. And so I just met him a couple, few years ago, just saw him this year at NAMM too. And I just really... Just really like, and he's in, he's in Petaluma or not Petaluma, he's in um, Sacramento. So okay. I always think about all these brands that are like Northern California. I used to yep. go up to Petaluma and there was a uh, Mesa Boogies up there too. So mm, I used to okay. use Mesa amps, but you know, I use a, uh, I've been using a super amp recently. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one that you have behind you, that's, it's like kind of a blue sparkle, right? And then. Oh yeah. It's like blue and purple. So it's called the Starliner. I would Ooh. reach for it, but my headphones, I'm attached to my Yeah. Yeah. Right don't now. reach for it. It's fine. And is that like a P90 in the neck and a, like a telly uh, in the no, bridge? No, I can't no, tell a, from here. No, one's just a humbucker and single oh. coil. But okay. then I do, I do have a cower with two P90s. Okay. Because, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But you know, P90s are kind of noisy sometimes, but they're yeah. fun. If you're playing. I know. Well, like, <laughs> You know, so I, I like different guitars for different styles of music. And, um, you know, I mean, this one here, the, this cower here is kind of, you know, because of the two different pickups, it's very versatile. Yep. Um, and then I, I have a Nags uh, Kanai guitar, which is kind of built like a Les Paul, much lighter. Yep. And it's got the um, the push-pull, the like, uh, switcher. So I would use oh, that yeah. American Utopia because we're doing so much choreography. Sometimes I couldn't get off stage to switch. And there was one right. song that required a single coil sound as well as a humbucker sound. Mm. So that one guitar really, 
You know, that really made a difference. And was, you know, the versatility again is very important to me with, you know, with playing, but totally. I mean, with speaking of versatility, uh, with David's show, we used uh, Kempers. Oh, yeah. So everything, like I, I modeled the sounds from like a twin reverb and my Supro amp, and just used that as the bass, yep. like the platform for the sounds, and then just kind of built on that and got spent quite a long time dialing in the tones, different choruses I wanted for the sounds and really listening to how, what Adrian Ballou was playing on the like, Remain in Lights and uh, yep. or I'm like, stop making sense. And because for me, tone matching is really important. However, I do, as much as I love the Kempers and I think they're very versatile and they're very convenient, I still, I like individual pedals. Yeah. I really, well, you, cause you know, you're, I, I, I'm moderately terrified of Kempers. It's like the technology is like so amazing that I feel like we're living in the future. It's wild, but mm-hmm. but yeah, the individual pedals. So you you play a lot of Earthquaker pedals, right? Yes, yes, I yeah. really like Earthquaker devices. I mean, and, and I have to mention they're and... they're a sponsor, so I feel like I should. Oh, mention cool, that. cool. Hi, yeah. Anna. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Anna. Yeah, yeah. But um, yes. yeah, they're 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 great. I mean, again, I like small companies, and I like companies with good people. And they just, you know, it's, one thing's interesting. I have to write down what the effect is because the name of the mm. effect doesn't really, you know, the title, all these crazy names. I'm like, wait, what does that do again? And I'll have it on my board. <laughs> yeah. But then I have like my, I have like a small psychedelic pedal board and I have like a basic board, just like overdrive, chorus, delay, and wah. Yeah. So I probably have three or four separate boards. But um, one thing I'm really into is uh, uh, getting like, supporting friends that make pedals yeah and jared sharf has a pedal through uh Wal- walrus audio like the mm-hmm. kangra pedal and then uh reeve carney has his own brand i have his thing i think it's called the time machine yeah mm-hmm. they're just all like like preamp pedals and they just sound yeah. great and then you know mono neon has the fart pedal which is crazy <laughs> Have you it's heard that important. thing? I've only seen other people play it like on the internet. So I, I can't oh, say that I played oh, it. Oh, I have but... one. Actually, I'm going to put, I'm, I'm configuring a board. I'm doing a show tomorrow here in LA with a couple friends. And uh, I think I'm going to, yeah, I got to bring the fart pedal. You it's just, can't but, not. <laughs> but it's funny because there's no, there's no tone. There's no tones. It's just <laughs> random sounds. So I think the next generation of that pedal, I actually yeah. told, I told Mono, I was like, you should probably maybe get some tones so you can like mm. have like a, a fart in B flat or a fart in, 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 in D or something. Pre- some presets <laughs> Just, or. Yeah. Uh, Imagine yeah. what an entire chord would feel like. Cause you can't, you, you strum an entire chord. You just hear one sound. So. Right. Right. I like don't an know. octave fart. There's so many yeah, options yeah. really. <laughs> it's, it's crazy though. There, there's so many pedals out there. One thing I'm weird about people get on me about this is, you know, I, I have an Earthquaker devices delay pedal, which I love, yeah. but I'm so old school. I, I the, the boss DD five. Yeah. That's, that's, that stays on my board. You know, I don't know why I actually have three of them and just in case one breaks, but yeah, those pedals hurt. Those pedals are like tanks. Yeah, so totally. I think like, it's like you, you get used that? to, you get used to whatever you, you know, like whatever it is that you're, you, you, you know, you're like, I have this particular sound in my head and you get used to it. Yeah. And I, I just can't, um, it's really hard to like keep switching. I mean, there's always mm. great stuff coming out every year, totally. and, you know, the latest and the greatest I've got like an iPhone nine. I don't even know what this is, but it still works. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I don't need the next one. And I don't like things that are too big, like yeah. the cell phones. And I don't there know, like I might, I want to try to get another Motorola razor flip phone. They're making them. <laughs> 
I know they're a little different, but no, I mean like old school one. Old school like, one. Okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah, no. And then I, you know, the for chorus pedal, I like my MXR. I'm just looking at my board over here right now, yeah. seeing what I'm putting together for tomorrow's show. Cause it's it's just keyboard, drums, and myself. And the Got keyboardist it. plays like key bass and it's a uh, Sam Barsh, a great keyboardist, and uh, Lyndon Rochelle, amazing drummer who used to play with uh, Esperanza Spalding. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. But we all, you know, uh, Lyndon and I went to Berkeley together. Yeah, that was like, the, that was a great generation. That school at that time, I think uh, uh, Annie Clark or what people know her, St. Vincent, she was there mm-hmm. at the same time, Esperanza. Um, then uh, this guy, Justin Tranter, who's an amazing songwriter. Oh, yeah. um, he was there at the same time. It was just a really, really fun and cool generation, I feel like, and just a great time to be there. And it was, it was before smartphones were out. So that was one thing I feel like the connection is so different now that we have with each other. And, yeah. you know, I've gone to Berkeley a couple times since and done clinics. And, you know, I say to people, first thing, get your head out of your phone because the opportunities <laughs> could literally be walking yeah. past you. Like, you know, our, we would like how we would socialize there. We had this place called the Berkeley beach in front of the main area of the school, people sitting, playing guitars, smoking cigarettes. I don't like mm-hmm. smoking anymore, but <laughs> that was just kind of the social thing. And I go back there now and everyone's like got their head buried in their phone. Totally. So it's a very different. Uh, well, I'm finally old enough to say, I remember when. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mind. <laughs> but I think you're right. Like in that kind of situation, like there's so many people there doing so many cool things that if you're not paying attention to the actual, you know, to the people there and are so obsessed with the people just on the internet, you're not going to be able to really benefit from it in the somewhat same way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, nowadays there are definitely more amazing players than there used to be because now they have more access to these tools and resources to learn these different techniques from anywhere in the world, from anybody Mm -hmm. in the world. You know, I I used to wait every month for Guitar World magazine to come out or or go to Sam Goody or Musicland and buy $3.99 some sheet music. Uh, or learn by ear. Like I sound so old right now. I don't mind because I don't thought about music. I don't look at <laughs> but or I would record songs on a cassette tape from the radio and have to rewind and try to learn the songs and it would detune from the tape. But um no, it's just it's very it's a we live in a very different world now and there are a ton of killer people players on stage or yeah. online, but then sometimes I see them play live and it's like they don't know how to play with other people. Mm-hmm, They're mm-hmm. virtuosos, but they don't know how to not play, like yep. to listen, because playing's a conversation and I've seen these virtuoso people. Oh, this person's got this many followers. But then there are a lot of people that do have a lot of flop followers. I was going to say flowers. Followers <laughs> that that can play live. And they, they have like both of those tools under their belts. But, you know, I do see a lot of younger players like not playing out as much and mm-hmm. playing more internally. Yep. And, you know, ho- hopefully that'll kind of turn around a bit so more people can have access to touring and playing that's why hiring live musicians is very important giving opportunities and having more stages to play on yeah i think is very is very detriment or it's very important for the future of music and you know just giving opportunities to young players to actually get out there and express themselves in a very human and organic way versus just through a lens yeah i mean so (laughs) so can you talk a little bit about your experience as a sort of engaged in like session work or being hired out for folks, like what that's been like. And then are you, are you part of a union or how does that work for you? 
Uh, yes, yes. I'm a part of right now the local 802 in New York City. I've been a part of and but I, you know, I was living in LA prior, so I'm kind of going back and forth. I was I was a member of local 47 for a yeah. while. You know, I think it's, it's definitely important because you know, music is a career. It's something I paid and invested a lot of money and time into. I mean, you can get a degree to be a lawyer in like five, six years, but to become a musician, you start at 12 years old. You don't start studying to be a lawyer or doctor at 10, 11, 12 years old. So this is something that really takes time and, and you have to put your heart into it, your mind, your body. It's, yeah. it's, it's something that's, that's embedded in us. And so I, I believe it should definitely be treated as and respected as a reputable uh, career choice. You know, other countries like Canada, they give grants to artists right. and, and uh, France and a lot of countries in Europe, they really respect musicians because art is a very important thing, whether it's visual art or music, cooking, you know, this this is a part of, do we, do we want to live to work or work to live? And I don't right. want to live in a world where I feel like a robot and have can't express myself because that's just, that's, a, that's an American dystopia. Right. Or, or a world I see dystopia. what you did there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, it's really important to have uh, artists be able to earn a living being an artist because think about, I mean, imagine a world or when the pandemic happened, everything shut down. What if we mm-hmm. didn't have music to listen to, to get us through these tough times? What if we didn't have movies to watch or books to read? So when yeah. people b- brush off the arts as as being a hobby, uh, I'm strongly against that. It's definitely not a hobby, and I think too many people take it for granted. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I think musicians and all artists should be respected that way and treated, you know, treated with respect and be able to make a living doing what they're doing, especially with all the time they've dedicated to it and all the lives they're changing. And you know, music is medicine; it heals people. We've seen it time 100%. and time again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's your, <laughs> it is like we would all be robots if we didn't have art and music. Like that's what it is, right? That's what it is to be human is to have mm-hmm. that. And it's like, if you don't recognize that as a benefit to culture, then I don't know what you want. You want a yeah, yeah. This authoritarian state, I guess. I'm not sure, but. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. I want, oh, I think I just read a meme or something recently where it said like, you know, I want to live in an age where I don't want AI creating the music for us or creating the art for us. Mm-hmm. If we can find a way to get technology and AI to do the more, I don't know, the more technical stuff and the heart, yep. like the robotic stuff, like, like, you know, building things versus yep. like create, build AI and should be building things versus creating things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like doing kind of the rote work so that we have yeah, time to, yeah, exactly. to do the things that we can uniquely do. Yeah. And, uh, you yeah. know, as an American, I forget my mindset's go, go, go. You get your yeah. coffee to go. And I remember going to France and asking for a coffee to go. And they just looked at me like I was crazy. And they're like, mm-hmm. no, we sit, we enjoy our coffee or we enjoy our, you know, in, in Italy too, you sit. Yeah. Cafe culture. I love it. Yeah, um, totally. I did a show in France. I was actually, it was like a musical and the lunch break was three hours long and they had like wine out. It was wonderful Whoa. food. And this was just like a, like a, a rock venue. I'm like, what is this? They're like, <laughs> oh no, we know how to enjoy lunch. Like we're going to take our oh, time yeah. with it. And, yeah. You know, work hard, play hard. Yeah, totally. I, I And that, that kind of uh, links up to another question I had. So you're from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I'm also from the Midwest. I heard you say something about um, in another interview where you were talking about like apologizing a lot because you're from the Midwest. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. 
And so I'm wondering how, like, how that the, I guess, growing up Midwest and what that brings with it sort of has either helped you or hurt you as you've been like sort of integrating into a variety of other cultures, both like in New York, in LA, in all of the traveling that you've been doing. How does that, how does that feel for you? Like how you're able to adapt culturally? Sometimes people can't tell where I'm from. When I was on the, when I had moved from Milwaukee to Boston, people thought I was from the West Coast, but I had never really spent much time out there at that time. Then in the West, in the West Coast, I come across as very direct. So people think I'm from Mm. the East Coast. So, Mm -hmm. you know, being in the, from the Midwest, I feel like we have a good, a nice balance of both sides. And then we're also polite, but we're not pushovers. I think, um, you know, there are two types of people in the world, doormats and matadors, which I heard in a movie. I can't remember which movie, but I I keep that line. (laughs) I love it. Uh, I've but never heard it's, that. it's true because, oh yeah, no, it's, it's true. Cause I don't, I don't want to be walked over. And I, you know, I, when I was younger, I, in retrospect, realized I was taken advantage of a lot, you know, professionally and musically. And, mm. you know, I believe speaking up is important, but you know, sometimes speaking against power can be detrimental to one's career. So it's mm-hmm. a fine line to walk, but cause you want to stay true to, to your, you know, you want to have integrity and stay true to your morals. Um, just to live a more honest life. So, you know, I yep. think what was embedded in me in my younger days and again, even elementary school being a global education school, learning about, you know, in public school at that, learning about different cultures at such a young age and being in diverse communities really helped me. And then, you know, Berkeley was very, you know, it, it was international. I wouldn't say, I mean, I guess there's a difference between being diverse and international. Like I was mm-hmm. like one of two black people in my dorms at the time. And yeah. I, I didn't realize it. Cause I didn't, I literally growing up in a integrated Midwestern city, I didn't start really feeling racial differences till college mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. liberal blue state of Boston at a music school. So weird in Boston, you felt racial differences. I don't believe it. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, well, you know, I, well, well, no, my, my mother worked in politics for years in Wisconsin. Yeah. I, I worked at, I worked in city as a 18 year old. I worked in, in Milwaukee as a legislative assistant at City Hall. Oh, cool. And then I had a summer job as a uh, an assistant to a counselor, a city counselor in Boston. So seeing Boston from a, a student's perspective, mm. college, parties, fun, yep. parties. But then in the summer working at City Hall, oh, these people all live over here. Yep. Oh, this group lives over here. Oh, these, oh, in these council meetings, they're going to give this much money to this community and not to and not look at this one. Then mm-hmm. I really started seeing a lot of stuff and I'm like, yeah. ah, this is a big eye opener. Yeah. But so to see the city from the perspective of a student having fun versus like someone just living in the city, it was very, you know, eye opening to say the least. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting to be able to have both those perspectives. Cause I think a lot of people don't get that if you're just coming in for school, yeah. like you're not going to get that other piece. Oh, yeah, and, but- and then like learning in school, I won't lie, like learning like the North is good. The South is bad. I, that's totally wrong. Totally wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, every place has its flaws and, and also their strong points. And at the end of the day, cause I have a lot of friends from all different backgrounds, different perspectives, different opinions, and they're friends. And I, lo- I love them all equally. And I think everyone's core values are the same, but there's just so many things distorting and dividing people hmm. that they don't even give each other the chance to discuss it, to get to the point of seeing the the commonalities. And it's like the big, big guy puts the little guys against each other. And yes. hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. That's why I think as musicians, we have, 
a lot of power and responsibility and the tools to unite people. Yeah. You know, but we, we have to use it right and not get, have our judgment clouded by power or money or ego. Cause that's mm-hmm. when things get messed up. Cause right now we're, we were all given a gift that we work hard to maintain and, and we have access like no other, really no other artists. I mean, musicians travel more than dancers and more than painters. Like we have access to the world. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and so we we have a, a huge responsibility with that, with the music we put out. Um, and then when they're gatekeepers up top, only letting a certain type of music out that doesn't have the message that the masses need to hear, that's an issue too. So again, coming back to technology, internet's very, it, it can be a useful tool because it's our way to get the important stuff out, not just the brainwashing stuff or like yeah. stuff that's just, you know doesn't have a message or doesn't have a positive message. I'm yes. going off. No, no. We're talking I mean, about I'm, here. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much more. Uh, but I think you're right. Like there's, there's all these, you know, everything is, has some good and bad points, right? So like the internet allows mm-hmm. some, some maybe musicians who might not have access to that power to get themselves out there in a different way. It doesn't mean that yeah. some, you know, that the, the control and the power that is used within the internet might not be used for bad and also oppressive towards them. So a hundred percent. That's why I think if there are more people like us as in musicians and artists at the top, being able mm-hmm. to make decisions, when you get to a point of having the power to make decisions, I hope that if you're ever in that position, you're able to take a step back and look at the community as a whole, like what will help more versus what will help fewer. Let's take this conversation and bring it back to uh, to your personal experience with music and gear a little bit more. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your experiences specifically around gender identities and gear. And I'm wondering if there's one like music related area where you've had more challenges than others, like whether it's like live performances, gear, recording, anything like that. Oh, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't I, I'm not going to lie. I I don't like to play in all female bands too often. I said mm-hmm. that like a robot because I'd say it right. <laughs> because I, I, I know I want to be put together with musicians that can not just what your gender is, but are we all at the same level of how we play? Yep. How we communicate? Are we there to play or there to be on display? Right. So um, I've, you know, I've had shows where they want me to dress a certain way or wear something that makes me uncomfortable. I mean, this happened recently within the past month where I was asked to put on these very high, high heels. I have leg problems, flat feet. Mm. I don't wear high heels on a regular. And unless you're Prince, you're probably not going to be asked to wear high heels if you're a male. And so I was just like, I I can't play my pedals and I'm supposed to be performing. And now I have this, this other obstacle I have to think about. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you know, and, and I just said this recently to somebody else. I wish there were more uh, females behind the scenes than just like on stage, because yeah. I, you know, I'm more interested now getting in studios and writing, producing, all yeah. that stuff. And more than often, I see uh, pictures, videos, of my colleagues, and there'd be a girl sitting on a couch watching a guy behind the soundboard doing whatever. And I'm like, there are some amazing female producers out there, and you know, they just again need the opportunity and the access and you know, I've had shows too where they didn't want girls on tour because it would affect the males or whatever. Like they felt like they had to behave a certain way. And so I really like when people are hired for their musicianship versus 
you know, there's, you know, what's going on between their legs and then, but the, or whatever, I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't even know how to say that anymore, but um, it's, 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 it's a complicated industry now too, because I really, you know, they, they try to make it, Oh, we want to give people an opportunity, but I don't want it to feel like affirmative action. Mm-hmm. And I've like, we have to hire you because we're supposed to No, mm-hmm. you're hiring the person because they earned that place. Right. You know, cause otherwise if someone t- tells you, and I've been told before I was hired because of affirmative action. And I'm like, I thought that word disappeared in the early eighties. And I'm like, I would hope that my resume and my playing ability is what made you want to hire me. And not just because you felt like you had to fill a quota. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. The tokenism sort of piece of that, like, yeah. 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 So I'm very weary that like, I just want to play with good players. I just want to create with great creators. It doesn't matter who, who you are, as long as you're a good person and you bring something to the table, but the female thing, you know, female musician, it's still a a novelty. And and, yeah, you know, I, you know, it's, so I'm very careful about who, who I work with when they use that mm-hmm. as the selling points, because yeah. I just want to see like one who's backing it. Like if there's like, you know, I think about in the nineties when you had like girl groups or boy group, you know, well, yeah, yeah. Well, here's a good thing. I am over 40 years old and people still call me a girl band. Right. So when it's a girl band, it's quote unquote female musicians. When it's a boy band, it's NSYNC or Backstreet Boys, like guys singing. Yeah. So when I see my male counterparts in a band, I go, oh, you guys got a boy band there. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Just to kind of turn the tables, just to let them kind of feel what it sounds like. So Yeah. 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 It's a... Yeah, you're you're hitting, you're hitting on so many things that I I just could talk about forever, but I think so one of them being the the sort of novelty factor of being put in a band with all women and that that is so tied to just the visual, like who is that for kind of versus like the studio piece of that. And yeah. do you do you feel like I guess that's kind of connected to another question I had as far as like doing more like live stuff versus studio stuff, like is that I don't know if I'm connecting these in a, if they might be disconnected, but I'm thinking about that as something that like, do you think you're, do you prefer doing the live stuff or the studio? Like, is there a preference for you? I, I, you know, I, it's not really a preference. I I, I enjoy playing live. I just wish I had more studio opportunities. Yeah. And I, I find I don't, it doesn't happen too often, but I'm often hired to play live what, uh, a male recorded in the studio. For instance, uh, not too long ago, I did a taping, a filming, and they wanted me to mime over what was being played, but it was very loosely played. It was just kind of an interpretation. Mm-hmm. And the, the amount of hours it would have taken to get note for note, because there was a lot of ghost notes being played, yeah. and there was no score or anything for it. It couldn't have been written out. It was very, very loose. And so... I asked the guy who was filming it. I said, I know you're having us mime, but for continuity purposes, I would prefer to go direct and just let me play my interpretation of this song. Yeah. And bringing that up, you know, once I said continuity, because you want to see what's being heard. Mm-hmm. So they agreed with me. And luckily I was able to actually play. And, you know, I'm like, you know, hire somebody, a pantomime or something, if you don't want, you know, if you're going to bring somebody in who can fully capably, they're capable of playing it, just let them do it. So yeah. 
I was happy that worked out, but I think they're different. Like I love to perform. I'm just noticing a pattern, not just with myself, but Mm -hmm. I don't see enough females or identifying females, but (laughs) um, I don't see enough in the studio in the creative process. And honestly, nowadays that's where the money is. That's where residuals, writer's credit, all that stuff. And I, I, I'm very, you know, I read the liner notes whenever you can find them because now everything's digital. But, you know, I like to know who participated in what. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up because that's something that we haven't really touched on too much. And I mean, we talk, we've talked about it a little bit here, but like that, to your point specifically around like visual representation and what people want to see visually for that representation versus like who's in the studio getting paid for that. Like it's, or who's behind the scenes, even with live shows, like production producers, stage, stage hands. Yep. You know, it's really telling when you have like a a show that represents one thing, but then is it really happening or, you know, production or like a recording? It's just, you know, I mean, diversity, it's going to happen. It can't be forced. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Cause then you get the people like, Oh, well you only got this because you're so-and-so or such and such or, you know, I mean, I, I, and even let's come use, I'll use American utopia as an example. The way men looked at my fingers when I was on stage playing, it was like skeptical. They like lean Mm. in, they'd squint their eyes to make sure what I was playing was actually me playing. And I've still even been asked today, like, Oh, was that you really playing? And I'm like, do you think David Byrne would hire musicians that couldn't play? Come right. on. You know, that's crazy. But, right. um, I, that, but then it begs the question, would you ask a male this question? Yeah. And then, you know, people get offended because they're guilty from that answer. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, Hey, I didn't, I, I'm like, Hey, I didn't, I didn't bring it up. You did. So I'm just, I'm just re-asking your question in a different way. Yep. So yeah. yeah, it's you know, I mean, the more I mean, the only way it's going to change is when people start talking about it, and then there has to be like a reconciliation. Just uh, uh, people have to admit to it that this has been going on. How can we fix it? If you just keep pretending like the elephant is, isn't in the room, it's not going to disappear. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it, I think that it's it's just such a complicated situation because there are the stereotypes, and people then learn those stereotypes, and then they're like mm-hmm. repeating this thing that they learned. So it's like you have to kind of start. It's almost like you you have to start from scratch, start over. Yeah, I mean it's it's embedded in us, and yeah, yeah, it's something you know, like even like you know, our country, it's like it's it's a system that has to be mm-hmm. there has to be an atonement for it mm-hmm. for anything to change. Otherwise, you're you're just kind of it's a wound that can't heal itself. Yep, and that's where it started. So, <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. Yep. So, as far as like specifically with regard to gear, have you had any like particular, like I guess as far as like how gender and identities tie into gear specifically, have you had any ways that that shown up for you? Oh, hundred uh, percent. San Francisco. <laughs> I was at let's just say a corporate music store, hmm. but <laughs> and I go there and I'm just looking at gear, and then the guy comes up, shirt and hands on his hips, like head bobbing. Like, hey, you interested in some guitars? He's like, what kind do you like? And of course, he hands me a pink one. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, pink is one of my least favorite colors. And yellow, uh-huh. that's a different story. But it uh, makes me have to go to the bathroom looking at it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm, so I'm at the so I'm at Guitar Center. And then I'm like, okay, I know where this is going because it's happened a million times where it's kind of condescending. Mm-hmm. And so I go, yeah, yeah, I'm interested in the guitar. And this was like, I think like eight years ago. I'm like, all right, well, so I just start pretending to play. I'm like, all right, so so how do I hold it? 
Uh, what's this? And so I got a pocket full of picks, but he gives me a pick. And I go, so you just turn these little knob things, like pretend like tuning knob and volume knob. Yeah. So he's like, and then you plug it in here. And I'm like, all right, I'll just play around. I'm just kind of strumming nonsense and pretend like my hands don't work. Yeah. And then he comes back and I'm playing like, I don't know, like some rhythm changes and B flat. He's like, whoa, you, you're a good player. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I, said, I said, I think I kind of figured it out. <laughs> Or like, you know, carrying gear. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, all right, I don't mind carrying my gear because my weight, if I'm holding it properly, it's, my weight is even. Yeah. But guys, some guys will be like, oh, let me get that for you. And now I'm like, just like, all right, I guess I'll, I'll let them carry it. You know, yeah. like I used to be very defensive about that, but I'm like, hey, those are just like preliminary roadies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, no, the way, yeah, treat, treatments with like, instruments or talking gear. Sometimes, you know, I'm not the biggest gearhead. I just like what I like, but I can't yeah. get into all the specs about everything. But I do find I'm often quizzed about it. And I'm right. like, you know, I don't sit down all day thinking about soldering things together. I just know what, I know what sounds good to me. And yeah. sometimes I can't tell you why. I mean, it's, you know, that goes with listening to music or creating my own tone, my own sounds. Yeah. And that's the important thing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do know when I'm being quizzed. Like, I'm like, uh huh. and I'll just flat out say, I'm just not a big gearhead. I mean, I, I like what I like. And that's, you know, and if I need help with something, I'm not afraid to ask for help. Yeah. And then it's like, what happens when you ask for help? <laughs> you know, like, are you going to get it in a way that's actually yeah, useful yeah. or in a way that's to demonstrate? Well, you got to use reverse psychology. Knowledge. Just be like, yeah. I know about this. Tell, who are, tell whoever you're asking for help that you know, just be like, you know, I, I just, I really love your work and you, you do, you're really good at this. And I love to pick your brain. People like to say that to you. I love to pick your brain. <laughs> there you go. I'm like, it's picked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Success. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so if you were then like talking to folks in the industry who are asking you specifically, Angie, like, they're like, we want to make things better with regard to like, it could be gear. It could be like the industry more broadly, like musicians experiences. What would you tell them to help them make the industry better? I'd say sign up for my mentor classes at Angie Swan bookings at gmail.com. That was a, that was an advertisement. That was no. good. I like that. <laughs> no, to, uh, <laughs> to make the industry better. That's a, I mean, that's a, such a big question. It, it again, starts from up top. And as I've seen over the past couple decades, a lot mm. of my friends are in higher places. Yeah. And so it's up to them to help each other out. Like, you know, each one teach one, you know, and, and mm -hmm. um, but then I've seen people who have gotten to higher places and lost sense of where they came from and then just kind of join the conglomerate of the problem yeah. or conform to it to protect themselves. And that whole thing, you know, it does take a village. And if, if we don't have enough strong-minded people up top with integrity and willing to make that change, it's not going to happen. So, I mean, I'm speaking more because I feel a, in a little bigger place of power to say it because I have a career to back up what I'm saying. Yep. I don't have the finances to back up what I'm saying, but <laughs> I, I have, no, I have the experience. I have stories and I'm a different person now. And I think of what I would have told my younger self, you know, with, with the, the knowledge I have now, so, I mean, that's, I don't know. <laughs> that's kind of where I'm yeah. at. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was thinking too, like earlier, 
you know, I'd asked about like your experiences around identities and gear and things like that in, in music and the industry. Do you, th- how much do you think that's changed from when you first got into the industry, like maybe out of college and then now, and how has that shifted for you? Uh, well, actually there are way more female players than yeah. I, I ever knew before. And they're, they're amazing and they are getting attention as great players, but again, it's still being too sexualized for me. Yeah. Like when I read comments, I'll, I'll just sometimes look at YouTube, look at different players and, you know, I'm seeing, but again, seeing what I see online versus what I'm seeing live. Mm. And, you know, like I said, I, I, I don't go to a lot of big festivals anymore because I'm claustrophobic. But when I do play at festivals, I look around, I say, all right, who's the artist? Who's in the band? Um, you know, for a while there was that wave of, you know, let's get it off. You know, Beyonce had an all-female band with yep. killing musicians. They're amazing. I had a lot of great friends in that band. And I've noticed her new tour is more integrate, mixed. Male, female, uh, might uh, in the middle. I don't know the other terms. I'm sorry, I'm really bad at that. But um, you know, David's David David's show, American Utopia, was very diverse. Yeah, on stage when it came to musicians, and it's it it brings a different dynamic. You know, and, if, and it feels good. It looks good. It it represents it. It represents more people. And I remember playing on stage and seeing this this little black girl in the front audience. Her eyes were so big, Aww. and then her parents added me on like Instagram or something, wrote me a message and I threw my guitar pick to her and she was just glowing. She sent me a picture or her parents sent me a picture of her glowing. She's like seven years old. Oh, And man. I looked down there, I got a little choked up. Cause I was like, I saw myself. Yeah. And totally. I don't remember really seeing that a lot growing up. You know, I didn't see myself on stage playing guitar growing up. I mean, I watched videos of Jennifer Batten, which I loved, yeah. you know, like, Dirty Diana music videos, killing. So, so yeah, no, there's definitely more now than what was going on when I was younger. So, yeah. and that, that's a really positive thing. And like I said, things are changing, maybe not at the pace we want them to, but I think it's getting going in a good direction. Totally. All right. So what else is coming up for you? Uh, I feel like we've, we've talked about so much stuff, but I want to know, I want people to know what's happening so they can uh, keep up. Well, I've actually never released any of my own music. I've I've played my own music at the Roxy on Sunset probably about 15 years ago, but I've never I've been, that's kind of been my weakest point. I've been nervous cuz I feel so vulnerable when I put out my own stuff. Yep. And so I really have a lot of respect for people who just put out album after album. I have hard drives, probably about 40 songs I've never released, including me playing piano, singing. I've been producing, a, um, working with different artists over the years, just cook like uh, like Thomas Bridgen on drums, Ronald Bruner, mm-hmm. uh, Eddie Brown, a great keyboard player. And uh, so I've got my own music I'd like to release. And also I'm working on a, a comedy music kind of sketch thing called, uh, tentatively called Swan Dive. <laughs> which will feature like different comedians, music, talking about social events, and it'll be completely unscripted. So that's just kind of in the works right now, just kind of pitching it to a few people and hoping to get a couple episodes done before the end of summer, probably about five to be on uh, uh, Instagram, not Instagram, um, YouTube, possibly TikTok. So that that's where fun. I'm at. <laughs> and a lot of local gigs. I'm looking for work because uh, the writer's strike kind of mm. emptied out my summer. So uh. we'll see what happens with that. And uh, yeah, that's nice. it for right now. 
Well, good. Okay. So, so if people want to stay in touch with you, how can they do that? What's the best way to get in contact? Um, if you want to hire me for anything awesome, I always do yeah. it first. Angie Swan bookings at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to keep up with what I'm doing, Instagram is the best. I'm not on TikTok yet, even though my friends are like, you should do TikTok, but I called it Tic Tacs. And I was like, damn, I'm too old to be on this. <laughs> I called it Tic Tacs. And I was, I really thought that's what it was called. And so I think I started a, a TikTok channel, but I've never really done anything with it. So yeah. right now Instagram is the best thing. And then that I'm definitely putting a lot of content upcoming on YouTube. Your, uh, your Instagram is hilarious, by the way. Thank you. I try, yes. I try to tell the truth through comedy and sarcasm, but still getting a message across. I think I can't remember who said this. They said, if you're going to, if you're going to tell the truth, make sure it's funny or they'll kill you. <laughs> you know what? I think you're not wrong. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for talking today. I really appreciate this. It was really fun. Thank you, Hillary. And, yeah. uh, I had a good time. I'm glad we got to do this. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really had fun talking to Angie, and I hope you had fun listening to our conversation as well. So check out the show notes if you want to keep up with her. Tons of info there as well. So thank you so much for listening. And if you have any questions or ideas, as always, reach out. I would love to hear them. Thanks again.